we've been on a journey for about nine years now. Um, every year, it's almost like comes back up and kind of go back through again and uh, refine things. And last week, we spoke about Saul. Um, and to recap a little bit, I, I felt like it was very important because something that God had showed me is that you couldn't really understand who David was until you got into who Saul was and how Saul was given everything that David was given, and yet he failed and why he failed, and why David succeeded in the places that Saul did not. Um, so we're actually going to, we talked a lot about how Saul the king actually kind of turned into Saul the politician. Um, but you know what's super fun is today we're going to be talking about David and getting into his life a little bit. And, um, and what's super freaky is that getting to talk about the Bible story that everyone's pretty much heard since they were in Sunday school Maybe some of you haven't, but I was like, okay, I've got to go through David and Goliath. And everyone's going to be like, okay, we all know the story. But this is David and Goliath a la Shuck. So um, when we last left off, Samuel has left Saul. He's killed Agag, drops drops the dagger, walks out, and it says that he would never go to Saul again but he would constantly mourn him. And so when scripture picks up, that's where we're at. We're at the place where Samuel is on his face. He's just basically broken. And it takes the Lord breaking in to say, okay, it's time. It's time. You know, walk it off. And um, so he tells Samuel to get up. I've anointed, you know, I have someone new, which Samuel knew was coming. He knew, you know, back even before the argument that he had with Saul that God had started looking for someone else. So he sends him to Bethlehem to where Jesse is uh, and said, it's, he's among the sons of Jesse. Go call a feast and bring the sons of Jesse to you. Um, so he's sitting there. He's meeting with Jesse and all of his sons. And Eliab walks in. And he's, he's your Saul, not the tallest man in Israel, but he's handsome, he's strong, he's confident, he's everything that normally you would have, you know, for the, for the king. And, of course, we all know that God says, I've rejected him. And Samuel's like, okay. You know, because God, God had Saul, who was everything that, that, that looked like what the people wanted. But now God's looking for somebody that will capture the heart of the people, um, slowly, because I mean, even when Saul first went into went into office and was proclaimed, there was just there was like a split. People were like, "I don't know, maybe he's cute, but may- no." Um, so, you know, Eliab has obviously been rejected. So poor, poor Samuel. He he starts bringing each one of, you know, Jesse's sons before him, and God's like, "I rejected him," and he's like, "Oh, I mean, the word actually says like." God rejected every single one of Jesse's sons. And then it like gets done and there's no more. And I can imagine being Samuel and being like, well, this is awkward. <laughs> Do you have any more? I mean, can you, I, I can just imagine like when like Jeremy gets up here to give a prophetic word and he's like, he's, you know, you're, you're, you're stepping out in faith and you're like, I got this word and nobody says anything. And you're like, Do you have a cousin? maybe a brother-in-law, you know what I mean? At that point, you're like, somebody. So Samuel's like, he's like, so I I, kind of missed it. So I'm going to step out further and say, 
have you forgotten somebody? <laughs> and he's actually right. He, they did forget someone. They're like, oh, yeah, that kid, the little one. Um, there's the shepherd. Um, what I love also is Samuel's like, okay, well, I want you to go get him. And nobody's going to sit until he gets here. It would be like me asking all of you guys to stand for the entirety of my message. <laughs> until I'm done, no one's going to sit down. We're going to all honor the word of God. So I want everyone, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, so back then, the shepherd, you know, if you had a farming family, the shepherd was usually the youngest child in the family because they weren't usually strong enough for the manual labor that it would take around. And so this youngest person, which they call him a boy, I, I searched everywhere trying to have somebody give me David's exact age <laughs> because I'm like, I really just, I want it to come alive. And it, it didn't, but they constantly are calling him a boy. And in Jewish tradition, when you have your bat mitzvah, when you become a man, you're 13. So in my calculation, he's probably the, at the oldest 12 years old at this point. At 12 years old, he's spending two weeks to a month at a time alone on a hillside with the sheep. So I can imagine standing and waiting for someone to find someone who roams the hillsides probably took a while. <laughs> you know, the food's just kind of sitting there and you're staring at it the entire time and thinking, And I mean, I mean, imagine what that would be like to spend like months and weeks alone. For me, that sounds awesome because I can't go to the bathroom alone. But, <laughs> sorry, I have three children, very small. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm never alone. Mommy's quiet time looks like kids climbing on my head. Literally, I'm not even making that up. <laughs> You're harshing mommy's buzz. Um, Jesus was just here. Um, <laughs> that actually happened this week. That's why. I'm... But he's, so he's, he's alone. He's cultivating, you know, he's got sheep maybe climbing all over him. There's, there's an affection that grows. He knows every single one of their names, you know, and probably like little affectionate names, you know, like short tail and, you know, Bart and, <laughs> and, you know, is all you know. Those he he like he can actually tell. I mean, I can't tell sheep apart. You know what I mean? But he just he knows everyone, and he's probably sitting there. You know, he's he gets really bored as a twelve. He's I mean, twelve year old boys. You've got like you put like a bullseye on a rock, and you just sit there and you just throw the sling at it all day, all day. You know what I mean? And they'd say they had staffs, and sometimes the shepherds, as protection to help protect the flock would, uh, they actually wouldn't necessarily always have a crook on them. They would, like, hammer nails to them and turn them into kind of a weapon. And so you can see him, like, I mean, I just keep thinking of Samuel, my little brother, and him just sitting there, and always, there's always a pose. There's always, like, you know, maybe he's got his own theme music running in his head. Because... <laughs> It gets lonely. And so then I imagine he probably started writing his own theme music, and that's where the harp came in. You know what I mean? Like, he's just kind of like going through his day, singing about what's going on, and he's becoming excellent at things that he doesn't even think he'll actually use for the rest of his life. But he's playing the harp because he's bored. You know? He's, he's throwing his sling around because he's bored. You know? Um, so he gets there finally to the feast. And... Um, 
it says that he's handsome. He's 10 from days outside with beautiful dark eyes. I love how the Bible always like, exp- like talks about these men. It's like he was tall and he was ruddy and he was handsome. I mean, like they, they're, like, they're like really getting a picture. He was 10 from the, from the sun. He had beautiful dark eyes. He's <laughs> probably just going, Where, why am I here? Um, and God says to Samuel, this is the one. Anoint him. So he's in front of all of his brothers. He's that kid that no one's really seen. And we worked this out beforehand. Thank you. He's this kid that, you know, no one really ever sees. Kind of like the pipsqueak brother who kind of shows up every month or so. And he's like, hey, guys, what have y'all been doing? What have y'all been doing? I've been really lonely. I'd really like to hear about what you guys have been up to. (laughs) You know, and he's anointed king in front of all of his brothers, which... Um, we kind of see later, did not exactly bode well for a family dynamic. Didn't, you know, encourage brotherly affection because his brothers, when he gets to the battlefield, are like, why are you here? Shouldn't you be out with the sheep? And, you know, David's response is like, now what have I done? As if, you know, you can tell it's been one thing after another where they're just not pleased with him. But as soon as the anointing happens with David, It says in the word, the spirit of God comes upon David and the anointing leaves Saul. I just, I'm trying to imagine like Saul can feel the loss of anointing and it immediately says that fear grips him. He becomes depressed and tormented by an evil spirit from God, which I mean, that's like a whole other, like put that in smoke and all that stuff. That's crazy. But so he's so tormented, so physically crazed that he, he needs someone to come and help him. It isn't just like he's depressed and we're like, oh, the king's moody again today. It's like he is physically tormented to the point that they're, start, they're like, we, you know, he, he, needs, he needs something to, to bring him out of this. You know, he needs something to fix this. And so one of his servants, he, and he, Saul understands that where he actually asks for it. He said, bring me a musician who can play, who has the spirit of God upon him because he's realizing he's lacking something and he knows that it's a lack of spirit and he needs spirit to heal it. He has enough experience with the Lord and experience with anointing, with the anointing to know what that looks like and what it means. And I, I, oh, I love this because David gets anointed. He goes back to the hillside. He goes back to his place, very similar to what Saul did. Out of nowhere, the, uh, the servant of Saul just says, I've seen a man. Here, it was, what does it say exactly? It says, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem, Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He is also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. I mean, David's in town very rarely. You know what I mean? But God has set him in a place. He's bringing him before the king without him doing anything about it. And what I love about this is that it tells me not to despise the place that I'm in. It tells me not to despise the fact that I'm, I'm in the hillside. And it feels like I'm, I, you know, I may be working for nothing. That I'm, that I'm sitting there in a small prayer room by myself playing my piano. Or that... 
I am at home raising my children right now and learning lessons through the things that they do. Because David, on that hillside, in that place, before he's called before the king, he's being prepared. He's in a place of preparation. And he never stops refining himself and bettering himself and preparing himself for what he doesn't know. I mean, he knows that there's, there's that weird prophecy thing. But you notice with Saul, when Saul's prophesied over, he obviously he has a lot of doubt. And so Samuel gives him all these like really amazing ways that he's going to, he's like, he's like on the road home, you're going to have this cool thing and this cool thing. All these prophetic things are going to happen. They're going to come to pass and then you're going to prophesy. Everything comes for Saul almost easily than it does, more easily than it does for David. Where Saul, you know, he sees all these things to understand and believe that he's king, but he actually never took it upon himself, his heart. He believed in the, his calling as king, but he never believed in his heart, his identity as king. But the second the anointing happens, David believes in his identity as king. And without having all that stuff, he continues to not, to, not knowing where he's going to or how it will happen to continue doing the things, the joys, the things that God's put in his heart to do, which is play his harp, to, you know, take care of his sheep. Because that's all he has. That's all he has before him. He doesn't, he doesn't know how to be a king. He just knows how to do the passion that God has in his heart. And without even asking or knowing, one day, immediately, he's transitioned and thrown and thrust before the king. And when he gets there, he finds favor. And he's the only one with the anointing, with the gift, to cause the king's ailment to leave. It says that Saul, yeah. My baby knows that's good. So Saul forms a warm relationship with David. It says that he, he, you know, calls to his father and says, I don't want him to go back anymore. You know, I want him to stay with me because he helps me. And so David stays there in the palace and continually is playing for Saul until war breaks out again with the Philistines. And everybody leaves to go and fight them. Oh, the Philistines. They have such a fun relationship with each other, the Israelites and the Philistines. They've returned only months after their last defeat. I don't know if you guys remember, but Jonathan, like, ran in there like Legolas and did all some awesome cool stuff, killed 20 men and like walked out of it like nothing. Um, God, I love Jonathan. I wish I had more time to just talk about Jonathan. But um, David's, you know, so everybody's gone. David's three older brothers have gone to war with Saul and David goes back to the field again. Okay, so it's like almost there, back to the field. Who's, that, who's ever been there? kind of got a taste of my destiny and my anointing, but now I'm going back to the field. Now I'm going back to the hillside. So what does he do when he goes to the hillside? I'm just going to keep on, you know. He goes, so hillside. Um, <laughs> that's now going to be a thing. I've, I've created, we all have an inside joke now. Uh, all right, so in the Philistine, you know, all in, in the camp of the Israelites, for 40 days, you've got Goliath, very intimidating fellow, Come, you know, more intimidating than Andre the Giant, coming out every day and threatening and threatening all of these Israelites. And his taunt is, every day, the same thing. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. This day, I defy the armies of Israel. 
he says the same thing every day. And for 40 days, no one budges. Because as is the, uh, the study of, or the, the pattern of Saul, he's, he's, kind of, he's kind of a wait and see guy. Um, so David arrives, and he's in disbelief at the audacity of Goliath. It, <laughs> and it kind of reminds, you know, again, it, he reminds me of my little brother. Because there'll be things that, you know, my little brother, he's grown up and, he's, and he knows from his father our truth. You know what I mean? Like, my, like, things, th- like, he is an exact replica of John Eckert. You know what I mean? Like, he, like, like, John Eckert says it's truth, and Samuel's like, oh, yeah, man, that's for real. That's, that, and he, and, and, and Jeremy and I are always like, how do you know that? And he's like, well, because my dad says so. And we're like, never change. <laughs> always say it this way and so David gets out there and he's like how dare he <laughs> you know what I mean everyone else has been there every day and they're kind of freaked out and, and David's just like okay I'll do it I'll do it you know what I mean like hold, no, hold me back seriously you know what I mean <laughs> I'll get him you know and his brothers are like, oh, my God. Like, he's just this little, it's like this little yippy dog. Listen, they're like, let me at him. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him, you know. And his brothers are like, dear God, he's back. <laughs> you know, and so he kind of goes around camp like that, you know, until Saul hears about it. He's like, I'll do it. I'll kill him, you know. And so they take him before Saul. And, and he's, like, he's, like, he's like, I'll do it. I'll fight him. And Saul's like, like, like I'm, I mean, he may have kind of remembers David right here at this point. He's kind of been at war. His mind's in a different place. But he's like, you can't fight this guy. He's been, he's been a fighting man since he was your, your size. So not, not the best plan. Uh, David, of course, David's over there. He says, Saul, he's like, I fought a lion, and I fought a bear, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go kill him. He was drunk on confidence, Vincent. <laughs> but no, I, I, I love, I, David just says, he says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion came and carried, or bear came and carried a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. And so he's just like, he's just like, it's no big deal. Okay. And we all know that he goes to fight. But, <clears throat> like, when I'm reading the text, like, when, like, the way that I kind of process all these things typically is I'm thinking of them as characters, as people. So when I'm writing about Saul, I'm asking myself, why does Saul let him go? I mean, yeah, we know that he's, like, super pumped up little pipsqueak guy. But let's go back to what Goliath is saying. You know what I mean? Like, if you lose, you become our servants. And not only that, but watching little pipsqueak boy die is not going to make everyone feel better. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm, I'm asking that more as a rhetorical question just to, just to cause you to think through. Like, when we're reading through the word, that's, that's how God, what God wants us to do. He wants us to say what's not here. He wants us to say why. But why? But why? 
you know, every single time something comes up. And, and I think looking for your answer within that or the characterization of why Saul made the choice that he did considering the circumstances surrounding it and considering who we've talked about who he is up to that point gives you a view into his heart of who he is at this moment and who he's becoming or, or you know what I mean? Um, and this is how we read the Bible. But Saul does. He relents and he says, okay, let him go. And he dresses David in his armor. We all know this. But David knows that's not who he is yet. He knows he won't have a chance unless he's 100% himself. And I wrote this down. I want to say it. You cannot Mike Bickle fast, Lou Ingle rock, Beth Moore study, or John Crowder Holy Spirit drunkard your way into kingdom safety. <laughs> not that those are bad. They're not. But if you think they're a recipe for not falling into religion or maintaining a status of righteousness, then you're going to find yourself falling into error and getting hit by the arrows. <laughs> because their revelation of how to stay with the Lord and stay in a place with, the, with God is not your revelation of how to stay into a place with God. And David knows that. He's like, he's like maybe 13, okay? And he knows that. You know what I mean? He knows who he is. He knows that he's not that man. He's, he knows that maybe one day I might be. But right now, I just I'm, I got to be who God made me to be. I've got to run with the revelation that God's given me of who I am. You know? Because trying to wield someone else's sword will get us cut down and wounded. I mean, come on. Preach. I mean, it's, oh. I mean, this is kind of a sidebar, but trying to like kiss dating goodbye when that is not your call is not, <laughs> is not going to be the lane you're supposed to run in. But for some of us, God's pulling us away for a season to not be in the dating world, to be completely called to him. But you have to know what your revelation is if you're going to run in it. Because if you try to take a book or take somebody else's thing and adapt it to your life without God breathing on it, you're going to get yourself wounded, and you're going to walk around being like, God disappointed me. It's like, no, you weren't searching for God. You were looking for someone else's recipe. Come on. Oh, Lord. God. So David walks out to meet Goliath. He, he grabs some stones. He puts them in his little bag. And, uh. Goliath calls out, and he's like, he's like, this is what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to cut you up. I'm going to, you know. And I've got to read it because it's good. But David, you know, goes in there to tell him what's what. And he just says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down. And cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine to the army, to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you all into our hands. I mean, come on. And says that Goliath hates him. Like in that moment, it changes. And he begins to charge. 
And I get so excited because I love this part. You look back at what David had said to Saul, and it says, the lion came in and took something, and I pursued him. It says, the bear came in, and he took a lamb, and I pursued him. And so as Goliath starts to come towards him in charge, David begins to run at the battle line. And it, it reminds me of, of what God does in our lives. He, he gives us little things like a, a bear that requires our faith in who God has said we are. God has said what our job is. His job is to watch the flock. And that's his, that his, that's his sphere of influence in that time. And so when he's watching the flock and someone's, something's taken from it, he doesn't do what Saul does and watches and waits and sees, licks his wounds and heals in that place. He goes into the camp of the enemy and he takes back what was his. So when God, when the enemy takes your money, he takes something that belongs to you, that, that you need to survive. And you make the decision in that place not to try and repent and fix the way you do your finances, but to give more. You're taking something from the enemy. You know, and then when you deal with something like a Goliath, and Goliath is running into this battle. He's running in with every bit of experience, all, all the muscle memory of a warrior that knows that if you parry from this side, you block or you blow or you go low. And David's running with the experience of knowing that every single time that God said who he was, he was who he was. And so his experience, his muscle memory is spiritual. So that when you deal with a Goliath, he's, he has no fear. Goliath has no fear because of his experience physically. And David has no fear because of his experience spiritually. So that when something happens, like last year, when someone, when the enemy comes in and he took our baby, we were broken and we were bruised. But we, as we wept, I told Jeremy, I said, the legacy of my child is going to be that I'm going to take every heart that I can. I'm going to take every single person who may have been wounded by this same design of the enemy. And if I salvage and take one heart into healing with me, then my child has been avenged. I have gone into the camp of the enemy, and I have taken where, God, where the enemy is stolen. Because I will go down fighting, and that's the heart of David is to go in and pursue and to charge into that place that the enemy has tried to steal and to go further and push harder into the heart of God because all you've done is not to weaken me or to wound me, but to draw me closer to my God and to make me more of a pain in your butt. (laughs) Man, he's just so confident. Remember like six months ago when I was first starting in my Jen Johnson crush? <laughs> She's a worship leader from Bethel. She's super cool. And I was listening to, I was, don't watch her worship because you'll just be like, oh, it's so good. Cut her hair. <laughs> Jesus is coming. He's right here. And I mean, how does she look that good when she's like, it? anyway, but, but I'll just be like listening I'm listening, and I was like, God, like, she's going off prophetically, and, like, where she's going, like, she's not even repeating. She's just, like, she's just communing with God, and we're all there, you know? And I was like, she's so confident, and he was like, no, 
she's fearless because she's been in that place in the hillside where she has been she's been she's been singing and she's been she's been communing with me and then she gets on this big stage and she doesn't even recognize that it's a big stage anymore you know when david gets to goliath goliath isn't goliath anymore you know he's already he's already faced the lion and the bear when she gets up there to her stage that stage isn't that stage for her you're just walking in on her communing with god so the whole army like so he climbs up there cuts off goliath's head just kind of stands there and everybody's like so that just happened <laughs> anyone ever come out come out of like a spiritual high and you're like i did that <laughs> okay anyway so the so i mean I want to think that Jonathan this entire time is watching, and he's just like, like, I feel like he probably wanted to go out there himself. But his dad's like, you know, no, I've seen what you do when you're left alone. <laughs> and uh, my heir is not going to get killed today. I'm too worried about it. There's too much riding on it. I've already been told my kingdom's going to get taken away from me. I'm not taking that chance. But, like, I want Jonathan to be, like, charging the field and, like, leading, you know, like, finally I can go, you know. And he's just like, he's like, yeah. And everyone's, everyone else is like, yeah, you know. <laughs> They're charging on the field. They chase the Philistines back into their land. Whew. Jonathan and David enter into covenant. Because I think Jonathan recognizes something of himself and David. But then it says that David went on to do everything. Like Saul would send him to do something, and he kept kept coming back and doing it really well and all the men were like oh god we love this guy and you know how Saul is with the people he likes to give the people what they want and so he gives him a high rank in his army and they start to go home and and again without David trying people have heard about him and uh the song happens we all know the song so unfortunate you know, Dave, you know, Saul has slain his thousands. Ten has, David has slain his ten thousands. And Saul's like, excuse you? And it starts to happen, you know. I mean, you guys know that person that, I mean, it's probably me, but you, know, you know, a lot of, we all, we all, no, not that mother. <laughs> it's, it, you know, you know what I mean? Like, like it's, it's definitely been me in this place for like, someone's someone's like someone's like yeah I did all this stuff and I did it really well and I did it right and it was really actually it was kind of easy and you're like I'm so happy for you <laughs> that's all Saul's feeling right now he's like he's like yeah it's great isn't it and uh it says jealousy entered his heart and and from this point on every single meeting with David start it's 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 like Saul met with David and fear entered his heart more fear and more fear he's just eating on fear which actually he's kind of eaten on since he was first anointed king but now since the spirit has left him it kind of has free reign to ooh that's something it kind of has free reign to go wherever it will when you get into a place where you're you know you're believing the lie rather than the truth after a while, the lie just becomes so big that you can't even see past it anymore. 
And God's just kind of had to release himself from Saul. And so Saul's now eating on the thing that he's always fed on without believing in who he is. Saul recognizes that the Lord is with David because he used to have it. You know what I mean? He knows what it feels like to have God anoint you and have his hand on your head. And so he's watching David, and he knows that God is with him because it was something that he used to have. People love them some David. So Saul starts to send David on all these battles because if he dies in battle, Saul can totally spend that. Yo, we're ah, so sad that David's dead. I mourn him. But he starts to, and we see, and we see, and we see this a lot with Saul, where when he starts getting back to into a corner and things are not going the way that he is trying to spend them, he starts getting more desperate. So he becomes less and less covert in his ways of killing David, you know, like trying to spear pin him to a wall twice, <laughs> not just once, twice. Um, he, he tries to do a, like a, like, like a covert, you know, we're all, you know, bring his advisors together and it's like, we're going to kill David. And Jonathan's there and he's like, mm. you know, so he like runs and tells David, he's like, he's like, my dad's acting weird. Um, but wait here, I'm going to go see. And he goes, talks to his dad, calms dad down, brings him down. It's like, all right, I won't kill David. And they go on, but it's still, it's still a thing. I mean, Saul really just can't win at this point because he's got his son loves David, his daughter loves David, the people love David. And he's just, he, he's, everything's slipping out of his hands. And so there's just the last, I mean, every, I mean, but Sam, I mean, David's still the only person that can calm him from these kind of rages that come upon him. And uh, the final straw just kind of hits it where he tries to pin him to a wall yet again. And David goes to Michelle and he's like, I can't. Like, your dad's very obviously trying to kill me now. Like, I, writing's on the wall. The spear is in the wall. And so Michelle helps him to escape. Her dad's, like, really upset with him. Of course, she goes from, like, I love him, I love him, to, like, um, he was going to kill me which I think kind of shows the fact that she had a bit of a teenage infatuation with him. So David flees to Samuel at Ramah. And Saul sends men after him. <laughs> but they fall down prophesying. <laughs> what would that look like? <laughs> we tried, but we were too, we, got, we were prophesying. <laughs> and so he's like, he's, and so Saul's like, all right, send some more men. And same thing happens. And then Saul's like, want something done right? It's going to just do it yourself. So Saul goes there, falls over prophesying <laughs> to the point he's, he, he takes all of his robes off and just literally is laying on the floor day and night. And like Samuel comes in, he's like, like in front of Samuel, it happens. Like Saul goes to Samuel, says that Samuel will never go to Saul again, but Saul actually goes before Samuel and basically is laying on the floor in front of Samuel there in Ramah, prophesying day and night, naked on the floor. Because you don't mess with God's anointed one, apparently. I, re I really would love to see what that would look like. Um, and poor David. Psalm 59, you get kind of a window into what David's going through. Because David's done everything 
right. Like, he did everything that was asked of him. He, you know, he slayed Goliath. He followed Saul, you know. He, as, as a boy on the hillsides for, you know, two weeks to a month at a time, I can't imagine there's a lot of fatherly affection that he's had growing up as a young boy that he's been, he hasn't really been fathered except for maybe what he's experienced through God. And so he gets there, and Saul, even though he's trying to kill him a lot, has an affection for him, basically kind of fathers him. He's learning from him. He's gaining wisdom with the people. He's successful in everything that he's supposed to be doing. He, I mean, he's basically a faithful son to Saul. His, he marries into the family. It's very organic in the way that it looks like, I got prophesied I'm going to be king. This kind of looks like this is what's happening. It makes sense. And then, I'm just going to read what he says. In Psalm 59, he says, I've done nothing wrong, yet they prepared to, prepare, prepare to attack me. Wake up, see what is happening to me, and help me. And he starts giving God ways that he can punish them. <laughs> and he says, and, but he gets to the end of it after just, just basically like yelling at the Lord and just saying, but as for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning I will sing about joy and your unfailing love, for you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I'm in distress. My strength, I sing you praises, for God, you are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love. I mean, he, he's pouring out his heart. He's, I mean, imagine he's going to Samuel and he's saying, everything, everything looked like you said, you said I was supposed to be king and everything was lined up. And now... I'm running completely away from the mountain. You know, like there are times where God's given us a prophetic word or a promise for our lives. And, and, you know, maybe you taste it, you know, you go and you're kind of an armor bearer for a while. And then you go back to the, to the hillside and you're like, cool. Okay. I get it. I, I'm going to tarry in this place. But then it's been years of, of killing himself, of, of winning wars and battles and, and being a good son. He's been a good son. And everything gets ripped away from him. Everything, every promise that God had, he's left with absolutely nothing. No wife, no best friend, no palace. And he's sitting there with Samuel just going, what did I do wrong? Why don't you want to bless me? Why, why don't I get the promise that you told me that I would have? You know? He's dealing with what it looks like when God doesn't bring the promise the way that we are expecting it to. And he's saying the promise is still there. And he doesn't know why. I mean, who knows? Maybe he was starting to emulate Saul too much. Maybe he was starting to look up to him too much as a father. Maybe he was too attached. Maybe there were things about battle or things about loneliness that he needed to learn from the Lord. Maybe he'd forgotten some things from the hillside, things that he'd learned about how to gird himself in the Lord because of that loneliness that he'd had. And it was felt just so good to be surrounded by people who loved him. Who knows? But the, the reality is that he was at the mountain, he was at the promise, and everything got ripped out from under him. And he's got to start from scratch and say, God, you're still who you say you are. And the promise over my life is still what you said that it is. And my identity is still who you have made me to be. 
and I'm still king in my heart. I'm still a son. And I'm going to start from scratch. And I'm going to take the kingdom because you told me that I would. And that's next week. Talking about walking in the delay and holding on to the promise. Just do it right now. Woo. Yeah. So I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray. God, teach us how to be faithful in our hillside moments, Lord. In our season, Lord God, where we're tucked away and you're preparing us. You're preparing us for the next level. You're preparing us to be thrust before the king. Father, let us be faithful. Let us see the identity that you've placed on our hearts of who we are. And the greatness within us, even if if it hasn't come to the surface yet, if it hasn't been acknowledged yet. Thank you that you see us. You see us in this place. And you will not abandon us and you will not remove the promise. But everything that you're going to do is going to be for our, our best and the beautiful on the other side. We tell you you're good, God. We praise you for the fact that you are good and you have unfailing love in the way that you father us. We adore you, Jesus. Stay close to us, oh God. Amen.